You are listening to Her Brotherhood. This is a place where we celebrate women who put their lives on the line every day. We share their stories, their trials, their tribulations. It's just a really great place for you guys to be and meet some amazing women so that we can inspire those who are coming up and get those young girls to realize they can do anything. And with that, I can't wait to introduce you to Bobby. Thanks for being here. Please go check out herbrotherhood.com for more and be sure to look at the show notes for any tidbits from this episode that you might want to follow up on. Thank you. It's an honor to spend this time with you. All right, we are here on Her Brotherhood Podcast. We are talking to the infamous Bobby Scopa. <laughs> she laughs, she laughs. But oh no, this lady has made quite an impact in the career of me and many other firefighters, not just women firefighters that I know. So wow. Bobby, welcome to Her Brotherhood. Thank you very much. I am so excited to be talking with you. Yeah, so tell me, um, so that, give me the like um, elevator pitch on who Bobby Scopa is, like right now. Right now. Right now. Well, right now, Bobby Scopa is a retired firefighter enjoying the heck out of retirement. Uh, I spend my winters down in Arizona, and I spend some time at the Botanical Gardens giving tours because my love of the desert ecology is is great. And uh, and I, when people come, I give tours um, to the visitors at the Botanical Gardens. And I can bore people for hours if they want to stick around that long and listen to my uh, explaining about how the plants are adapted in the desert. But um, I do that some of the time. I'm working on a little house down here. I ride my motorcycle. And then in the summers, I get the heck out of Dodge because it's too hot down here in Arizona, in southern Arizona in the summer. And I head up to um, the Anacortes area in Washington on Puget Sound. And I live on a boat and take the boat out and go chugging around the uh, San Juan Islands. And and I'm hoping to get up towards Alaska maybe this summer, uh, maybe next. So that's my that's my life now that I'm retired. That is so cool. I know because I see all your houseboat adventure sharing and it's just, that's cool. Like I, <laughs> I uh, couldn't even imagine. And now watching you do that, it actually has kind of hit my mind. I imagine maybe one day like traveling in retirement on a big, you know, getting myself one of those big old diesel pushers, but now, I mean, I think the boat is way cooler. Yeah, it's, uh, I've always liked uh, boating. And uh, and when I decided to live on the boat a few years ago, um, I decided I was going to give up sailing and get a power boat because they're much, um, they're much bigger and more spacious inside. So, and don't yeah, require wind. Like, <laughs> they don't require wind, yeah. So when did you retire? I retired at the end of the fire season in 2018. Oh, yeah. I think so it the is, it Mendocino Complex by. was my last um, fire assignment, and I found out while I was on that assignment that I was going to be able to retire uh, in September, and so that's what I did. Nice. So pre-2018 then, so this is the retired Bobby. This is second chapter. What, yeah. who, what would have been your elevator pitch that year? Well, that, that year, um, I had been, uh, actually, uh, part of that year, I had been on medical leave. Um, I actually had been, uh, that's a big part of my last couple of years uh, in my career, unfortunately. The 2015 fire season was almost a, uh, it was, uh, it damaged me um, from all of the other injuries to your, your emotional health, you know, that happened. Um, 2015 was like the, the cap, the cap of it all. Um, that was the fires we had up in twist where we had more fatalities. I had been the forest fire chief up there previously for families that I knew were impacted by had, that one of the families I knew had a child that was, uh, impacted and, and killed in that fire. There was lots of there was lots of uh, issues surrounding that. I had been on the forest the day of the fire, the day of the fatalities, visiting because my job was at the regional office at that point. Um, so, so it's hard to talk about 2018, my last year with the Forest Service, 
uh, without talking about what happened in 15. And so I was actually off on medical for about three months because it was just, that was weighing on me. And then I had a, I had an issue with a supervisor that was, um, I was having a difficult time dealing with. And so, um, yeah. So the last year or two, I was kind of in and out of my regular job and I had spent, uh, eight months assigned to the Washington office. Uh, part of that being the deputy fire director for the forest service nationally back in DC. Mm-hmm. And so that was, um, that was an education too. That's what I was going to say. Um, being going from going from the field, I mean, fairly when you're in chief mode, you are kind of stuck more on the laptop. But going from those field fire jobs and going into the WO was that what was I mean? What did you think about that? Were you like, damn, I should have spent my whole career here, or were you like, thank God this is a detail? <laughs> no, it was a good thing. It was a detail. I had been on a detail back to the WO earlier in my career when I was a forest fire chief. Uh, before I went to the RO and, uh, and that was, a, you know, that was, I was in a position that was a little bit lower down, but when I went back and I was working as the uh, deputy fire director, you get your eyes open to a lot of things. I mean, with my first week I was, I, w- I was sent to uh, represent the agency at the Senate armed forces committee, um, talking about air tankers. Um, and, uh, so that's that was pretty cool, and to be able to say I was in their in their offices, uh, that was that was very cool. But there's so much there's so much politics going on that, and I don't want to get into details of some of that stuff. But there's so much that goes on that you you just shake your head if people in the field, you know, if the engine captain out in the field would hear some of those conversations, they would just be like, what the heck is going on? Mm -hmm. And what stands between some of the goofy crap that occurs or is said back there and that engine captain is people who are representing that captain. So you're speaking truth in that, in that environment because some of the folks are so far removed from the field. Some of them have never even been in the field. And so it takes someone to represent them. Yeah, I think, I mean, and that's, honestly, that's like a whole conversation that we should dedicate an episode to now that you're retired and, you know, it doesn't matter really the opinion you share because (laughs) it doesn't matter if you're in, if you're in fire, federal fire, if you're in, you know, if you're in structure fire, if you're in the military, if you're law enforcement, there's all these frustrating levels. Federal, it just happens to be, it is so far removed, you know, from going from the little district office all the way to the WO and there is, you bang your head at, at the level that you were at as a, whether you're at the forest level, but you're just banging your head on the wall and you can't figure out why you can't make change. Well, then you've got this second year firefighter who really is banging their head against the wall about something. Yeah. They think you're just an idiot and you're not doing your job and you're like, right. no, I'm being affected on so many levels and yeah, trying to get that, that all the way down. But what's really frustrating is when you're at a point where no matter how hard you try and you can't make a difference and getting all the way up in that Washington level and seeing still think, thinking like I can get to here and now I can make a difference. I'll be up here and I'll tell yeah. them how it is. And man, it's right. hard. You know, I always, what you just said is so true. I always thought, you know, I never had any big dreams to be promote because I wanted the position or, I mean, I wanted the status or the money. It was always about, Oh, if I just had that one job ahead of me, above me, I could make a difference. That one job, that's going to be the one. You know, you go from a captain to battalion chief, division chief, you know, whatever you're doing, it's always, oh, I can make a difference there. And you do, and you can, but you never can make the difference that you really hope that you could. And to illustrate that, um, I got to be, I, I can, I think I can say without any worries that uh, I got to know Tom Harbor pretty well over the years. Uh, the previous uh, now for those who don't director. know, explain. Yeah, what was what did he go out as? And when Tom got within a month or two of his retirement back in, I guess it would have been the end of 2015, he finally said, "Bobby, all these arguments that we've been having over the years about what we should be doing," he said, "I can tell you, I agree with 90 percent of what you've been saying. I just couldn't make those happen. I was telling the chief the same things." And, uh, and so I realized if the national fire director 
couldn't affect the changes that we all thought we needed to see, you know, me as a forest fire chief or um, battalion chief, I wasn't going to be able to make the changes, but we all have those abilities to affect change. I, I affected change at every level I ever worked at. So um, you, you just got to do what you can. Yeah. So, you know, looking back on your career, your best advice, because it's so easy to just go, well, I'm never going to be able to make a difference anyway. I'm wasting my time. Yeah. I might as well put my feet up and play Angry Birds for my eight hours a day. You know, a lot of people yeah. go into that checkout mode. You know, so what's your best piece of advice for a mid-level, you know, whether it's fire, military, whatever, if you're in that mid-management place and you know that something needs to change, you know you need to make a difference, what, how do you take that bite of the elephant? Like, what are the small things? Well, everybody, everybody, no matter if you're the, you know, if you're the last shovel on the crew or if you are, you know, the forest fire chief or the city fire chief or anywhere in between, we all have, and I believe this so much, we all have the ability to affect change right around us. How we speak to each other, uh, that affects that affects the crew performance. If you're on an engine and there's three or four people, and you're Debbie Downer, you're going to be you're going to be affecting that crew. If you're the captain and you set the tone for that crew you're going to have an impact on that crew. Um, and if you, if you, whatever position you're in, if you're uh, the boot fire, I used to get told when I was brand new on a hotshot crew, this was back in the seventies. I would ask questions. How can we do this? And they would say, shut up and dig. Uh, and I would say, well, okay, I wait a little bit. And I say, well, what about, you know, what about that? Shut up and dig. But you can ask questions sometimes and then those questions will lead to, uh, oh, well, yeah, maybe we should do something different. You know, maybe we, uh, as, as the explanation gets described to you, the person in charge will, might say, oh, yeah, that's not a bad idea. Or later they'll say, yeah, that's a good thing. They might not admit it to you. They might not say, hey, that was a good idea. But you find the next time you're doing something a little bit different. And you we have huge impacts on those around us that way. Um, and no matter what job you're in. And of course, if you're a supervisor, even a squad boss or a, or an engine captain, um, you start having more influence and speaking up at meetings. Um, uh, I have a good friend who is, uh, was a battalion chief and we would have our force, uh, chiefs meeting and, and, uh, and she was a friend of mine too. I had known her for years before I was the chief and she was a battalion chief and, uh, it was a big organization. You know, we probably had, I don't know, we probably had eight battalion chiefs, um, on that unit. And, and after the meetings, I would say, uh, Hey, did you like what happened? Oh yeah. Yeah. It was good. I said, you know, you didn't say much. Well, no, but everybody was saying what I thought. And it went the way I thought it should go. And I said, well, you want to see yourself, you want people to see you as a leader, right? Well, sure, of course. Well, how do they know what you believe to be the case? Or, or uh, you know, maybe something wasn't exactly right. How can you, how do you impact that? You impact it by being visible. I, I've often said that you can't have invisible leaders, you know. Uh, and everybody's got different leadership style, but that doesn't mean you can be sitting back and being quiet and being unseen. Um, and so in, in her case, I said, if you want, if you want to be seen as a leader, which in my world, in my thinking, that means being able to affect change, that means you have to be visible. People have to know where you stand. And that doesn't mean you have to be a jerk about it. You don't have to be a bitch and, you know, um, you know, be pushy to the point of driving people nuts, which some people might say <laughs> I did that. Um, but I think we all affect change no matter where we are in the organization. And I, I'm, I think I affected change in every position I was ever in. Um, and I think we all have that ability. You just have to want to do it. Yeah, I think, you know, ability and responsibility. A lot of people think, well, somebody else is going to handle it. Somebody else will figure it out. And there's that piece of, you know, being some, because people are all thinking like, maybe some people just need to shut up and dig. 
which right. yeah, there is that, there's definitely that fine line as a, as coming up that we want people to understand and know like when it is, when the questions do need to be asked, you know, you do need to work, but you do need to ask questions. And I think it, a lot of it falls on leaders too, is like, we, we now study a lot about um, leading by explaining the why, by giving the why so that your troops understand why you're there, why you're, why you're miserable, what, what's going on, what the bigger mission is. But yes, also being able to stop and be like, hey, Cap, I'm just curious, yeah. why, why are we out on this ridge that's in the middle of nowhere for no reason killing ourselves, you know, and because you have to know that. Yeah, it's, it's important. Well, when you're, uh, when you're, I would always use the example when I was a division supervisor on a wildfire, um, I would always give the why and before I would want the why I would want to understand what's the per- point of us going from here to there, because things are going to change over the course of the shift you're working and, and the conditions change to the point where you're going to have to do something different than what was the plan. And if you don't know the why you're not going to know what to do, uh, to still accomplish the goal. Um, and you're not going to so, know yeah, the, the what is. ifs when things go sideways. If you don't know the why, you're not going to know the backup plan or be able to make one. Yeah. But I, I have observed too is that I think it's really important as a leader if you are starting to get a lot of those, but why, but why, but why, why are we doing this? You know, and all those, yeah. you haven't briefed right. And you need to, you need to rebrief your folks or reinform them because if they seem lost all the time and they are asking those questions, it's a really good indicator that maybe you need to start sharing your message a little more clearly or be giving them more of that intent, that leader's intent that is really important. And so it's, it's definitely a two way street. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Well, God, we could, you know, I, uh, it's really hard to not have interviews like this go for hours and hours because I always talk to gals like you that it's like, we could sit at the bar and bullshit for so long (laughs) about so many things. So I think there's, we, and I think we need to circle back a couple of times and talk and, so I want to like your, so that was the last couple of years of your career. What, tell me when I ask you, what is the like, what's a shining year or a shining just kind of era in your career that when I go, you know, tell me about your career. What is, what's a piece that just shines to you and really pops up? Well, you know, um, I look back on the 45 years now, some of that was seasonal time. Um, some of my favorite time was when I was uh, working for a fire department and I was a captain for about, I think I was a captain for about eight years uh, before I went back to grad school. And uh, I was just about to say nothing significant happened, but lots of significant things happened during those uh, I don't know, 12 or 15 years on the department. Um, but um, that was a great time because I, I loved the camaraderie on the engine. You know, I worked with the same group for a long time. And, you know, um, if you are on a municipal or a county department where you're on an engine crew um, or rescue, you're working with the same people day in, day out. Um, and, and you develop a lot of close uh, develop affections for these folks and their families and all that sort of thing. So part for me, there's all these segments from my career and, and there were, and that time with the fire department was special in a lot of ways. Um, and if, you know, I tell a lot of my stories I tell on my website, they, uh, relate back to those, those years and, uh, a lot of the goofy, funny things that happened and some of the, uh, serious, important calls I was on that at, at the time and for years, I didn't think they were that big a deal. But then when I tell the story and I think about it, or actually if I tell the story and record it and go back a few months later and listen to the story I told, I think, wow, that was, that was significant. That was, that was important. Um, so, so I have some of those from the years I was on a fire department. Um, I think one of my, you know, here, I'll tell you one of the things, and and for the folks who aren't federal, they might not understand it quite as much, but my biggest, one of my biggest accomplishments, I feel personal accomplishments from an organizational standpoint is when I went to the regional office, I had been 
Um, so this was the regional office in charge of the fire program from Oregon, Washington, Alaska. And I had already been a forest fire chief in charge of 300 firefighters, uh, 13 engines, helicopters, smoke jumpers, a big, big operation. Uh, now I go to the regional office and, uh, one of my goals, and I had something I've been working on for years, was trying to get our engine captains upgraded to GS-8. Now, that was something that I'd been working on uh, for several years on the forest, but I couldn't get the regional office support. And so my, one of my big accomplishments, I feel like I was able to get the GS-8 captains changed from GS-7 to GS-8. Yeah, that's a really, um, really huge step in, in a lot of eras yeah. for people that like from the outside don't realize like what a huge block that was. That's big. And, and they, and we got them to permanent full time. So even though, you know, we didn't lay them off during the winter time, but we changed their status. So now that they were officially permanent full time, we, and then everybody got bumped up. Um, that was a big deal. Um, uh, I, I feel, I feel very strongly uh, that, how can we how can we expect professional behavior, professional performance if we don't treat people like professionals? And so that was a, that was one of my accomplishments. I felt like I, I did at the regional office. Um, yeah, and um, so those are a couple of things that I always think about. Well, and that's one of and, those and, that's one of those leadership accomplishments too. It didn't have anything to do with you. It didn't have anything to do with it wasn't going to give you an upgrade. It wasn't going to improve your benefits. It wasn't, it was about the people and those below you that you led. And those are, those are the biggest things to be proud of in someone's career is how did you shift the entire culture? And, and that is a, that's a real important one. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I, I think, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of passe to say it. Well, people are our most important resource. It's like, well, no shit. They're our most important resource. They're the ones doing the work, Mm -hmm. you know, when I, I think from the, once I got to be above the station level where I was at the, either the force headquarters, uh, or beyond that, it became very clear. I wasn't doing any work. I wasn't getting anything done. I was, I, the only work that I got done was through the folks that were, uh, pulling the hose, cutting the line. And I, you know, so what should I be doing? Well, I would tell my folks when I got to the regional office, if we're not every day, if we're not thinking about what is this work I'm doing, how is it going to have a direct impact on the folks on the ground? Then we ought to be thinking about what it is we're doing because that's our job. I think that's important to just keep in mind. It's simple, but I think once you, if you move up the ladder to the point where you kind of forget or aren't seeing the impacts this is a, your work is having on the folks doing accomplishing the work on the ground, then then maybe you need to reassess uh, how you're looking at work. Yeah, absolutely. I, I always kind of picture it like as the you're it's an orchestra, right? You're the maestro. You've got your you've got your little stick, right. and, if, and you can make that you can make that song go and move. But if you're not taking care of your flutes, song doesn't work. Right. If you're not taking care of your wind section, right. song, the song's out and you got to take care of your instruments. You got to take care of your people. And you're the maestro at the orchestra. Well, see, you have that analogy because you were at the battalion chief level and you felt like you could conduct the orchestra. By the time I got to the force level, I felt like all I was doing is trying to get everybody to sit down in there. You were seats, opening the doors at like, the event center. <laughs> you're like, God, yeah. everybody get it together. <laughs> By the time That's I got funny. to the regional office, I was doing nothing. Said everybody, get in here, you know. <laughs> right. So, I like your analogy. You're parking lot security uh, at this point. It sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah, right. That's, That's exactly interesting, right. though, because that is interesting. Because that's where I exactly where I was at. I was battalion chief, and so I see that piece. And then the higher up, that's that is very interesting because that's how I did feel. I feel like, you know, you're at that point. If you took care of your people at that at that place, you could make that yeah. song work and pull off the event and um and yeah that's that is god to feel like parking lot security at the at the orchestra <laughs> is frustrating trying to run the show <laughs> you get to a point so far up that you then you're just like would someone invite me to the concert <laughs> right. uh, i want to come in and hear the music <laughs> <laughs> that's right 
Right. Well, that's, yeah. And then, so yeah, at the Washington level and, you know, we, we get so frustrated at our overhead. We get so pissed and yeah, we all talk crap constantly about those above and those above. And, you know, there's a point where it's like, yeah, but you don't really know how it is up there. You don't know how it is in the RO. You don't know how it is at that. And I mean, just at the battalion level, I'd be like, look, you don't get it. Like I'm getting pressure from this and you're in these little bitty places and it is all politics and, you know, you look all the way up, but when you do go to some of those places and you go to some of those meetings and you do pull the curtains back, there's times where you're like, no, this is wrong. You are doing it wrong. Yeah. You're not paying attention. You forgot what it feels like to have boots on the ground. And, and so there's right. a time to be like forgiving, knowing that there is something bigger going on, but there is a time to have your voice heard. Like you said, speak up in the meetings, try right. to make a difference because while we do need to give the benefit of doubt to, to above, it's not always earned. So I think it's important that we have people speaking up. You know, um, it reminds me of a, uh, a story when I was a forest fire chief and I would go to the regional uh, fire management leadership meetings. And there would be a couple hundred people in a big conference room. And someone is speaking up in the front and they're from either the regional office or the Washington office. And they're saying stuff that makes you realize they don't really either remember what it, was, what it was like, or maybe they never did the work, but they're speaking with some authority like, you know, and everybody in the, in the audience pretty much knows that they're full of beans. And I got to a point where the folks who knew me would like, you're, imagine you're in a big conference room and there's a couple hundred people in there. People would start turning around to look at me and they're waiting for me just be the one who's raise your hand and say, I got to call bullshit on this, you know, right. and you say it politely. Right. But it happened all the time where people would turn around to look at me. Are you going to say something? Right. Because I don't know why they felt intimidated to the point that they couldn't speak up. Um, but that, that was, you know, I was at a meeting with, with the national office leadership, like the deputy chief of the forest service, regional foresters, regional fire directors. This is the highest echelon of the, of the forest service at the time. And they were, and they were speaking about problems like, why are we having, why are we having fatalities? So many fatalities, how come, what's causing it? And so they were like brainstorming and coming up with ideas. And I actually said the words, I, put, I stood up, I put my hand up, I said, I got to call bullshit on this. This is wrong. And they, and they all looked at me, like some of the people there looked at me like, yeah, no kidding, it's BS, and thank you for saying it. And the other people looked at me like I had just, you know, I had a big horn growing out of my forehead or something. They were just like, what? Right. It's Oblivious. BS, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, that's probably, that's probably a good reason why I wouldn't have been a good person, a good fit for the Washington office, but because I was clear like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you got it. It, it behooves all of us to speak up. Imagine and how call, much change there could be though, if somebody in the Washington office was that clear on a regular basis and not worried about how they were going to get smacked down or if they weren't going to be able to get that next, you know, that next position or that next thing. I mean, it is all politics. You're trying right. not to piss certain people off so you can get what you need and what you want. And yeah. not just for you, but for your program. And, and there has to be, I mean, that's why I have so much respect for you. Cause we're, we kind of play on that same field. You weren't, you, you didn't sit there and think like, I'm not going to stand up and call bullshit on this because I'm afraid of a, B and C. Cause you knew what was right. right. You weren't worried about the effects of it. You knew what was right and what was wrong. And it's to our detriment a lot of the time, you know, it, it doesn't always serve us well, but you know that it needs to be said not for you, but for the program or for whoever yeah. affected. Yeah. You know, um, there's a fine line and I've mentored uh, other younger firefighters. I've talked to my son about this. He's in the military. Um, you know, there's a fine line you walk about speaking up. And I think it's important I think it's important to speak up, but there's the right way to do it and the wrong way to do it. And when I said, I got to call bullshit on this in front of all the Washington office folks, maybe that wasn't the right way to do it, but I was to a point where I was some shock factor. Well, right. That's true. Um, 
but you're always walking that line, how much you can push, how much you need to pull. When do you just pull back a little bit? Uh, it's kind of, I mean, this is how I think of it. It's like being on the fire line or if you're pulling hose into a structure, same kind of thing. And you're watching, you're watching around you. What am I doing? Is, am I still safe? Is it, can I go forward? Um, and it's not, if you're on the fire line, you know, do you still have your LCES in place as you keep changing? You know, you turn the corner. Do I still have lookouts? Do I still have combo? Well, it's the same way in that meeting with the Washington office folks. Uh, you're constantly assessing, can I push here? Do I pull back? What's, you got to read the room. Um, when is it time to shock the folks into reality? When do you pull back? Um, you can't just be a jerk all the time, you know, because that's how you're seen sometimes. You can't, you can't be that way all the time. You have to just, um, you have to change your tactics. You have to change your language. Uh, and so you just got to be aware, I think, but you need to push, you need to push. Yeah. Well, and you want it, when you do push and speak up, you want it to be heard. You don't want to be constant noise. And it is, I've always struggled with, yeah, what do I, am I going to bitch about the stripe on the truck? Am I going to, you know, are we going to talk about something that's going to save lives, you know, but yeah, being one of those people where you sit in a meeting and you feel that elbow jab you in the side, you know, and it's your buddy, like, you're going to say something, right? It's like, dude, you stand up and say something. No, you say it. Like I, you know, it's safer if I don't say anything. (laughs) And then, that's right. Yeah. And not everybody has that. Not everyone, whether it's a gene that's inside of you, a way that you were raised, a way that you, you know, there's, there just not everybody has that. So I don't fault the people that don't, but I, I, I do fault the people that know that they could and they yeah. should speak up and do something because, um, I think there's a lot more people that could bring more change, but they're more comfortable not, and they need to be, find that discomfort if you're comfortable all the time, man, let me know what job that is and what you picked for a career because, you know, everybody wants that, you know, but we got, we need, we need to be able to speak up. So yeah, those are some really great points. And I love hearing your wisdom from your, your years. And I don't want you to stop sharing it, which is why I love that what (laughs) you're doing now, what in the hell made you think that you wanted to go start recording your experiences? Tell me about that Bobby on fire. Well, so, um, my friends uh, uh, here in Arizona, they're, they're friends that I've had since high school. And they're some of my best friends that I have. And I, I, I just naturally, I guess, tell stories. You know you, you know how it is. You get a couple of firefighters together and you start saying, someone tells a story and it's like, oh, yeah, that reminds me of. And then you tell a story. Well, I've been and doing. it's 3 o'clock in the morning at the bar and <laughs> you still haven't gone right, home. Of course, there's always <laughs> beer involved. And they get better with beer, you know? So, um, so as I was approaching retirement, I thought, Oh, I'll tell you what it started. It started back when I worked for the fire department back when I had a little, those little floppy disks, uh, in our computers, you know, somewhere I have one of those floppy disks with a whole list of story topics from calls that I've gone on. And I, and I thought about putting them into story form for my kids. Well, uh, I still have that floppy somewhere, but I don't have anything to oh, read it. God. Yeah, you got to find that. Go um, take it somewhere and have them find it. That'd be cool. So I, I thought, well, you know, that's when it started the idea of recording some of these stories. And then when I got to uh, close to retirement, a good friend of mine who is now back in the Washington office, one of the experienced, um, knowledgeable uh female firefighters who's now back in the Washington office. She said, I said, I told her I was going to write these, start writing these stories. And she says, Oh no, you need to tell the stories because your voice, when you tell it, you know, it sounds, it's different. And we, we like to hear it. And I thought, well, okay, I guess, you know, so I told one of my friends here in Arizona who he has a, uh, John, who, if anyone listens to my stories, he's, who's often on my uh, blog. Um, he said, Oh, I can help you set that up. And, you know, and so he did all the technical stuff showing me how to set it up. Well, I kind of thought, well, I, I'll tell maybe a half a dozen stories and I'm going to run out of stories, you know? <laughs> and then, so I have on my phone, I've got a little list of, um, of, um, stories. All those times you're driving that, down uh, the road and you remember one. 
yes. So I go ahead and start writing them down and, uh, and I realized I've got more and more and more stories. And every time I think I'm going to run out, the list just keeps growing. Uh, and so I, I love telling the stories because, um, it's interesting. I didn't think they were important stories. I mean, many of the stories I tell on the website, I think I'm up to 27 or 28. Many of the stories aren't significant in terms. It's just some goofy behavior of the firefighters working together at the station, doing, pulling pranks on each other. Some of them are that way. But then some of them have some significant lesson in them. And at the time that I was thinking of the story, I didn't see the lesson. Sometimes it takes me to tell the story that I've told a dozen times before. But when I record it, and then I go back and listen to it, I realize there's a lot to the story. Yeah, the one I was just um, listening to of you about that call with the the very affluent woman that you went on and knocked on the door. What's wrong in this house? And she seemed so put together. Oh. And you know, and you go, you tell this whole story about this and how actually her home care provider was laying with a stroke in the kitchen floor. And and you go through the whole thing, and then you're in the end, you're like, I I don't know what the lesson of the story was. And then it hits you. You go, Well, wait, I I guess it's always, you know, be looking for more and be looking deeper to see what's going on. And yeah, surprise, there was a really great lesson in that story. You know, there was the story, one of the stories that I tell that really uh, I think about a lot now after I've listened to me telling the story is the one where the young gal fell off the cliff and we had to rescue her from um, um, a real steep talus slope at the bottom of a cliff. And she was so banged up. And she would have she would have been dead the next morning had had we not found her that afternoon that evening, and and we were about ready we were loading up on the truck to leave because we couldn't find anyone we didn't know for sure if there was anything there and it was like that voice in me told the captain so one of those times where I pushed I was a new firefighter I said captain please let me take one last loop on the trail and see if I hear anything one more time. Cause we had made a couple loops. We'd spend a half an hour looking or an hour looking, couldn't find anyone. We didn't hear anything. Um, and it was that ability to say, no, wait a second. Now, who am I? I'm a boot firefighter. The captain's been doing a job for 25 years. I said, let me, do you mind if I just make one last run up there? You know, and sure enough, I found her. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so there's some there's some significant stories. To me, the funny part of that story, what was funny to me is the reason I used to tell the story is because when I gave her age and I'm talking to the I'm talking on the radio to the hospital, I said uh, the scene found this patient. She's fallen off a cliff, approximately sixty feet. She's an approximately thirty uh, year old female, and this gal was so banged up she couldn't speak. Her face was all banged up. I mean terrible lacerations and stuff. When I said she was probably 30 year old, she was, oh, she was trying to talk. And she said, when I realized what she was saying, I'm only 22. Oh my God. Like, like a woman, right? No, God, I'm dying. But don't laugh. screw that up. Next thing you know, you're going to yeah. call her fat and it's all over. <laughs> <laughs> I know. See, that was hilarious to me. And yeah. so that was what I always remembered the story, but there's a whole bunch more to that, you know, yeah. when you get into it. But anyway, yeah, those stories are, are, I mean, I tell them as much for my benefit as for anyone to listen to. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, yeah, for memories to cash them in and, and to have those just wash away. You know, I think every time that one of my mentors would retire, it would just, it would eat me up. Like I, I would feel like I would get in my career, point in my career where I was just really learning from these people or really being, you know, giving, being given opportunities by these people. And then it was like, surprise, time for retirement. And they just float away. And it's like, oh, but I had right. so much more I needed to learn from you and absorb from yeah. you just from like those from dinner in the, at the at the uh, fire camp and from BSing on the side of the line. Like I needed to hear more of that. So I think it's important yeah. that you leave that legacy because it kills me when people that have lives like you go on and then you're just done. And it's like, no, like I don't expect you to keep going AD for the rest of your life. My God, live a great retirement. <laughs> But take those experiences so that those after us can 
can learn from them yeah, and hear them. Right. One, not feel so crazy. You know, you hear these other stories and you're like, you can resonate with them. Right. And then two is to hear stories. And, and then when you run into them in your life, you know, it's going to, yeah. because just that story that I just referenced where you went on that medical call and it turned out to be something more serious or that one where you listened to that voice in your head and you went and looked for that girl again, people will hear those stories and they'll, they will be at those points in their lives and where they're, they're going to, that voice on their shoulder can be your voice. They're not even going to realize it. it's going to yeah. be in their subconscious, but they'll hear this story. And it's not just a made up movie that they saw, you know, where Will Smith was doing something right. crazy. They're thinking about a real person who lived a real story. And, and so I think it's important. So I really appreciate that you're doing it. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. It's, uh, if, if anyone can gain something from the stories and that's just a huge bonus to me because, uh, uh, I mean, I, I, I don't know what it is about it. I mean, we all have stories. We all, we all have stories that we can all learn from. You've got stories that I can learn from, but I think sometimes we just don't, we just don't think they're worth telling and we don't realize how valuable they might be to other people. Now I'm just like you. I don't know if mine are all that valuable, um, but I hope they're entertaining. Mm -hmm. And so then maybe from the entertainment, we can, we can learn something. Yeah. Well, when I, I was thinking about listening to your stuff and it reminded me of like, I can't imagine probably how many classes you've taught in your career, fire classes. And yeah. and the best part of a class is the storytelling. That's how you really get a point across, right? right? You're trying to share this experience. Right. And of course, then there's, there's a point where some of your classes are 24 seven storytelling. You're like, okay guys, we actually have to instruct right. her at some point, <laughs> but right. That's the best part of the class is hearing old fire stories, old war stories, right? And that's yeah. really, so listening to your stuff is like, it's like the best parts of the class because you're hearing the stories that tie in the lessons, that tie in the, you know, the training and that those are the most important things. Because I can remember, I mean, all these classes that I took, I don't remember what in the hell was on the PowerPoint, but I remember this story that the instructor right. told me and that stuck. Well, I think some people learn better by the stories or I, I think a lot of people learn about it, stories. And I, I know that I teach better when I'm related. I mean, there's the PowerPoint and there's the curriculum. That's the approved curriculum to teach. Um, but my mind instantly goes to a story that, uh, that, uh, supports and teaches that little lesson. And so, yeah, when I, I haven't taught a class for a couple of years, but um, I love teaching. You're teaching, because... you're teaching a class every time you tell a story on your thing. So oh, nice good, try good. <laughs> just without PowerPoint. <laughs> um, yeah, I, uh, uh, I, I, I think that that's how I think. I think in terms of stories, you know, there was an old Star Trek episode where Captain Picard ended up on the, on the planet with some guy, some alien, and they were forced to work together, but the alien only spoke in allegory. He didn't speak like you and I are saying words that mean one thing. He would say something like, uh, you know, he would say like the mountains over the sunrise, you know, I don't know. He would speak in this, uh, and, and I guess it would be called allegory. And so Picard had to figure out what that all meant. And I think, uh, I think in some ways I think that way, you know, if someone says something to me, my mind goes to an example of that. Um, and so I, anyway, this is probably getting off the topic, but I, I find it, uh, I find the storytelling, uh, a good way to, to teach even when I was teaching and I don't think of it now as teaching, but you're making me change my view maybe a little bit. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it's not a bad thing. It's a great thing. It's sharing your legacy. So people are learning from it, not just being entertained. I don't want you to doubt that they're being, they're learning too. So okay. now you tell, Good. so you started a website, but you, I, you've started podcasting it though too, right? Right. So the Bobby on fire.com, uh, B O B B I E, uh, Bobby on fire.com. It's a website. And then I just link those stories to, I guess it's Google play and Apple podcast. And so it's all, and so, um, um, it's evolving, mm -hmm. you know, I, I started it last year and, uh, and so it's evolving. Uh, but so each story gets a little introduction. It gets, you know, a written introduction. It gets a picture that kind of, uh, exemplifies what I'm thinking at the time that I'm, 
going to tell the story. And then it gets a little link to the recording. And so I guess you can access it one of three ways uh, through Google, Apple, and, and just go to the website. Um, uh, yeah, but I'm having That's a awesome. Blast I'm proud story. of you. I'm proud of you getting all techie well, because, you know, a lot of people are like, I don't know how to do that. I'm not. It's like, go Google it and figure it out. You know, do something great. I don't know how to do it either. My friend John, who comes but and you, sits in the He's on your most Google. Of my <laughs> yeah, he's my Google. Right. <laughs> he's helping so you. So it's been, it's been good. And, um, I, I hope it keeps evolving too. Cause I don't want, I mean, cause it started out just being the funny stories. And then I realized, Oh, you know, even the funny stories have a lesson and now it's evolving into, I realize I'm thinking ahead of time. What does this mean? Um, in a bigger picture. And you know, the, uh, lessons learned center, uh, linked last week to one of my stories. Um, so they were obviously seeing some, Nice. Utility to it as well. Great. That's good. Yeah, that's what they're all about. So that's that's perfect. I am well, okay, yeah. one last question I have about your website. So maybe you have the story behind that, but the, the photo that you have of the guy standing on the roof with all the flames behind him, who is that? What's that what's the story behind that picture? It's not my picture. I I found that picture and it kind of exemplified to me um it exemplified to me the situation we're in these days with fire and the urban interface. Uh, I figured it spoke to you and that's why I wanted to hear why it, why it did. Yeah. Well, there's some stories that I have about fighting fire in the urban interface and some frustrations that I have about homeowner expectations that we're going to send, you know, you know, as you've seen, you know, you're on a fire in the urban interface and you've got, you know, hundred foot flame lengths, and, and you're sitting there with 300 gallons on your engine and we're sending, you know, we're sending a four person engine company or a three person engine company in to protect some house. And the homeowners think, well, the fire department's going to come and take care of me. And, and I've been on fires where I think I told this story where the homeowners, they were in level two evacuation for a week and never did anything to prepare their houses. And then they went to level three. And as I'm driving up the switchbacks to the fire front, coming out of the, this is on the Los Padres, for example, the people uh, now were raking the leaves off of their roof. Now they're moving their wood pile away from the wood fence that's connected to the house. And, uh, and it was right after the, it was the year after Esperance, you know, where we lost five firefighters. And I was so angry. I was so mad. I wanted to go up and just hit those people on the side of the head with a two by four. How dare you? How dare you expect us to save your house when you have done nothing to save your own? So that picture, as you ask, that picture to me speaks to that. There's a guy on a roof. You know, he might as well have had a little hose with a, you know, a couple quarts an hour coming out of the end of the hose standing there. Yeah. Wow, cool. Yeah, anyway, that's no, a really good descriptor. Out. I like it. Well, great. Bobby, yeah. so bobbyonfire.com. I want all you guys to go listen to her stories. And if um, you can look it up on wherever you listen to podcasts through Google Play or like I looked it up in my Apple podcast. So I am subscribed so that whenever you do drop one, it will just pop up for me. See, so that's how that works. It's very, I know it's, it's not, you. it'll pop up, not, not super techie. And then it'll, I can listen to your stories. They're great to listen to while you're driving or getting ready in the morning and just um, little little twist of either funny or shocking or, or sad in them, which is what we all love. So thank you so much for sharing those, Thanks. Bobby. I I really appreciate you. I want you to know that. I appreciate My you, pleasure. how you're carrying on your legacy. and But don't forget to retire. <laughs> Looks like you're, <laughs> you are doing that. But I think the, the problem with these jobs, with these careers that we have is they weren't, they weren't real jobs. They were dream jobs, whether they were frustrating. Yeah. Some days seem like absolute hell, you know, but, but I think that's why so many people have a problem with just retiring and being done. There are some people that do and they do it great and they walk away and they never think about it again. But I don't want to have a job where I'll never think about it again. You know, I want, right. Right. so I think that speaks a lot to it about how you're still living it. You're still mentoring. You're still, you know, doing all this. So, you know, if I, I commend you for that. Thank you for doing that. And because I know not all of your career was easy. You guys, it, it's all these 
there's all of us have a lot of darkness in our careers. There were there were troubles that we had. There were sad times. There were sure. moments sure. where I mean, either you didn't want to go on with the rest of your life or you didn't want to go to tomorrow. You didn't want to show back up. But but it's great to think about those moments where you're like, holy crap, I'm getting paid to do this. And so but now you can do it and do say whatever you want from a boat right. okay. <laughs> from Arizona. Yeah, from so, oh God, I love that. I've got to come see that boat at some point. So, well, you're welcome in I, Arizona or up at the boat. I appreciate it. I think I might take you up on the boat. <laughs> I usually okay. don't go to Arizona right, unless it's on fire. <laughs> 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 love you guys in Arizona. I really do. But yeah, usually I've been on so many fires there. It's like I tend to move to the North when, <laughs> when it t- comes right, time for fun. Right. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> With that, Bobby, you guys go see or go visit bobbyonfire.com. Listen to her stories. Give her feedback. Will you guys leave her some reviews on um, podcasts? You can do that. I don't know about Google Play, but I know on Apple you absolutely can. And um, Bobby, is your website made for commenting or how can people reach out to you? Oh, they can. Yeah, you can leave comments. Um, you can leave comments at bobbyonfire.com. You can contact me through that, uh, through the website. Um, and I... I really appreciate the feedback. I mean, I've had over in, in just six, seven months now, I've had over 30,000 downloads of stories. I don't get that many comments. Uh, and so I like it when I do get comments because, uh, I like it when someone says, yeah, that happened to me or, you know, how did, how did you handle this? Um, and so that, that kind of feedback really makes it easier for me to tell the next story. Perfect. And do you, how about on social media? Are you floating around on there? Uh, Bobby on fire is also on Facebook. Perfect. Great. So you guys reach out. She'd love to hear some feedback. And with that, Bobby, I'm going to let you go. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. It was very fun talking with you, Abby. And that is all we have for you in this episode. You've been listening to her brotherhood with me, Abby Bolt. Thank you so much for being here with us. It is just an honor to spend this time with you and to have your support Go to Instagram, check out Her Brotherhood there and on Facebook. Just let us know what you think about the show. Send me an email. Check out the show notes. Be sure to go check out bobbyonfire.com. She is sharing some really inspirational and funny stories. Thank you. I really appreciate you and everything that you do. With that, don't stop choosing the hard right over easy silence. I'll see you next time.